We'll be reading from Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Ingratitude may be the most fundamental of all sins. In his letter to the Romans, Paul speaks of humanity at large as rejecting God, and Paul says, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him. But that sin of not giving thanks to God began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, who did not give thanks to God. They were not grateful for what God had given them, but instead wanted the one thing that God had not given them. They had fruit from every tree except one, and yet they wanted the fruit from that one tree instead of all the others. And then the children of Israel, uh, like Adam and Eve, uh, were complainers. They were ungrateful. God brought them up from slavery, and yet they complained about Moses' leadership style. They complained about the taste of their water. They complained about lack of variety in their food. They complained about the difficulty of entering into the land that God had promised them. And really, in all of these things, they were complaining about God himself, They believed God didn't want them to be happy. He wasn't out for their good. In fact, they wanted to go back into slavery uh, just to get out of the situation that God had brought them into. The people of Israel are like a model of ingratitude. But again, remember Paul's words. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him. And Paul there is not speaking about just Adam and Eve or just the children of Israel. He's speaking about a universal human impulse. The human condition is oriented away from God. We all do not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him. So we tend to blame God for bad things and ignore God when it comes to good things that we experience. And yet, God has done so many good things for each one of us. Like Adam and Eve, like Israel, you have benefited from the goodness of God. So as much as you may struggle to give thanks to God for difficult things that come into your life, I'm sure you have a catalog of good things that you've seen God do for you, provide for you, kind of your own, your own record of thanksgiving. That list of things you've seen God do in your life, where even though you maybe didn't see physical hands moving, still it was beyond obvious that God's hands were at work for your good. Psalm 138 is 
one of many records that King David has left behind, a record of God's hands at work in his life, God doing the kinds of things that God does. So in verse 7, David says, You stretched out your hand against my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. And in verse 8, he says, Do not forsake the work of your hands. So David uses the imagery of God's hands uh, to describe how God has been at work is in his life. And, and that calls for reflection on our part. You know, where have you seen God's hands at work in your life? And have you been giving thanks to him for that? There are three parts to this psalm of thanksgiving. Um, the, the first part there is in verses 1 through 3 where David offers personal thanksgiving. And then in verses 4 through 6, he expands the scope to declare worldwide thanksgiving. And then finally in verses 7 and 8, there's a a declaration of future thanksgiving. Uh, So personal, worldwide, and future thanksgiving. So first, uh, David begins by offering personal thanksgiving. Verse 1, he says, I give you thanks, O Lord. And then he says three things about how he gives thanks to God. He says he's doing this uh, with his whole heart before the gods, and toward the temple. So wholehearted means he's, he's not doing this begrudgingly. He's fully engaged. It's not just obligatory. He's, he's giving thanks without a lingering discontentment. He's giving thanks with my whole heart. And then he says, before the gods, I sing your praise. Before the gods, I give thanks to you. What does this mean? Well, when David says gods, he may have in his mind false idols, or he might be thinking of mighty kings of the earth, or perhaps both. The word gods is used in so many different ways in the Old Testament. But it's, it's as if David looks at all the options uh, for these greatest deities that he could worship or give credit to for his, his happiness and success in life, and he rejects them all. In the face of all these options, David says, I will worship the one and only, the God of Israel. And, and then David says, I bow down towards your holy temple, and give thanks to your name. So here you might imagine David in the courtyard of the tabernacle, which was that that mobile uh, tent-like structure that was Israel's center of worship before they had built the temple. Of course, that the, the, the great temple of Israel was built by David's son, Solomon. Uh, wouldn't have been around at the time that David wrote uh, this psalm. So he's come to the tabernacle. He's come on this fine morning to the tabernacle to worship God, to to offer his sacrifices. And, and he doesn't come as a matter of ritual or just habit, but he comes bowing down with a heart full of gratitude. So David describes his thanksgiving here as complete, with my whole heart, singular, it's to God alone, and it's a matter of worship. It's in the presence of God for who he is, for his name. And then as David continues his song of thanksgiving, he next sings about the reasons why he has come to the tabernacle on that morning. He says, I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. He says God is good. God is loving and God is faithful. And God is not just all of these things in the abstract, but God is all of these things to me. You answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. 
I was talking with someone in the hallway after the service uh, last week, and she spoke of a time recently in her life where she felt like she could hardly put one foot in front of the other. She said, I was absolutely undone. In some ways, that's how David had felt before writing this psalm. He, his soul was weak. He was despairing. He, he looked at his circumstances with fear and, and frustration. But now, he says, you have strengthened my soul. You've, you've given faith. And as that woman testified to me in the hallway, she said, my circumstances haven't changed, but God is changing me. And that's how it is with David. You know, we aren't necessarily told that God has delivered him from this difficulty. In fact, the end of the psalm makes me think that he's probably still right in the middle of it. But God has strengthened David's soul. David has seen God do uh, the kinds of things that only God can do. And then he sings in thanksgiving for the way that God has worked in him, in his heart, bringing about this confidence and faith. So David's confident joy about who God is, his, his goodness, his faithfulness, and about the kinds of things God does for his people, then leads him to say, not only will I give thanks, uh, but the whole world is going to thank God for who he is. And that's what we see in the second part of this psalm. In verses 4 through 6, the scope kind of expands from David's personal thanksgiving uh, to this worldwide thanksgiving. David says, all the kings of the earth shall give thanks to you, O Lord. When he says all the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, it's, it's kind of a poetic way of saying uh, everyone, people from all nations uh, will give thanks to you. You know, Kings were understood to be representatives of their people. So if the king was giving thanks to a particular deity, then presumably uh, his people would be worshiping that same deity as well. There's, there's no separation of church and state. Whatever deity the king chose to worship, the people were obligated to do that too. And David here says, all the kings and their people, all nations, will give thanks to God. Now, this is actually a, a consistent theme throughout the Old Testament. There's this strong pattern uh, in the Old Testament of predicting worldwide worship of God especially in the Psalms and in the prophets. You know, even though God's focus was on Israel, the writers of the Old Testament understood that God's rescue plan for humanity, to bring humanity out of sin and into his redemptive purposes, you know, that plan is for the whole world, not just for Israel. And so the whole world would give thanks to God because all kinds of people from all over the world will have experienced his goodness. And just as David described his own thanksgiving in those first few verses, so here he also describes the thanksgiving of the nations. So there's a strong parallelism uh, between verse 4 and verse 5. Now, parallelism is, is one of the, the main features of Hebrew poetry. So the poet, the author, would write two lines that were meant to be read together uh, where the second line is parallel in some way to the first. So then we have to ask, you know, what is the relationship between these two lines? How are they parallel? Does the second line extend the thought of the first line, or does it repeat the thought, or perhaps contrast with the first line, or, or some other kind of relationship? So if you look at verses 4 and 5, you'll notice how the first half of each verse describes the actions of the kings. And then the second half gives the reasons for those actions. So verse 4 says, All the kings will thank you. Why? Uh, because they've heard your words. 
And then verse 5. All the kings will sing of the ways of the Lord. Why? Because your glory is great. So one of the things we learn from seeing this parallelism between these two verses is that uh, giving thanks to God in verse 4 is synonymous with singing of the ways of the Lord in verse 5. The way this psalm defines thanksgiving is this. It's to sing of the ways of the Lord. Thankful people sing about the things that God has done for them. They observe how God has been moving, His ways in your life. And then they sing about it. And then verse 6 tells us why God deserves this kind of gratitude from all people. David says they give thanks to Him because of the kind of God He is. He's exalted, high up in the heavens, far above His creation. And yet, He's not only far above us, but He is also right beside us. So He is near to the lowest person in the world, the untouchable, the undesirables, the broken, the poor. He is a God of mercy, of pity and kindness. In other words, David's experience of God's goodness that he refers to in verses 1 through 3 is not an isolated example. God is good, and that is universally true. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your experience in life may be, God is good. He is near to those who are low. Well, as David concludes this song of thanksgiving, he returns to himself Uh, But this time he looks forward to future thanksgiving. So something interesting happens in the last two verses of this psalm. David says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Most likely this isn't hypothetical, but David is actually writing in the midst of some kind of life-threatening struggle, which if you know the story of David was not unusual for him. He had many enemies, both from within his nation and within his own family, as well as from uh, threats from outside nations. But, but remember, God has strengthened David's soul. And so in verse 8, uh, he says, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. You can feel the confidence that David has towards God because of who he is, because of what he's seen God do in the past. David has seen God's hands already at work in his life, and he's confident that God's hands will continue for his good. He has seen his deliverance in the past, and so he expects God's deliverance in the future. Remember, David has seen Goliath fall. So, of course, he can say, your right hand delivers me. He knows with confidence that God is a delivering God. David has escaped Saul's murder attempts. You might remember Saul, the the king of David, had sent out his best warriors after David. David was outskilled, outnumbered, and yet God protected him. And so now he says, God, you, you have protected me at every step along the way. My life is the work of your hands. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So, For the person walking in the midst of trouble right now, if that's you, there's a thanksgiving song here for you as well. Giving thanks is not just for the person who has been delivered, uh, but even in the midst of trouble, you can give thanks for who God is. He is a delivering God. Again, David says, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. In regards to your life, he will complete his work. 
God doesn't go halfway. So even though you don't have the end in sight, you can still sing of the ways of the Lord and ask Him to do the kinds of things that God does. Deliverance, goodness. Or to put it another way, lament and grieving are not, those things are not enemies uh, with thanksgiving. The two can go hand in hand. As one author said, biblical lament is not complaint that goes nowhere. Rather, it's, it's planting, lament is planting seeds of hope in the soil of despair, expecting that the Lord will come through in the end. That's what David is doing here. He's not complaining, but he's planting seeds of hope in the soil of despair, expecting that God will come through in the end. So even as he laments the trouble he's in, he takes that kind of baby step toward thanksgiving, expressing hope that God will come through in the end. So there it is, Psalm 138. It's a classic Thanksgiving psalm. Uh, There are various genres or types of psalms. There are royal or kingly psalms. There are psalms of lament and hymns and and so on. This is a Thanksgiving psalm. And in it, David describes why he gives thanks, how he gives thanks, and then announces that the whole world will find God worthy. Uh, And then concludes by vowing that even in the midst of great difficulty, he will continue to give thanks to God because he knows the kind of delivering God Uh, that he worships. So how can we gather up some lessons on Thanksgiving uh, from David's record of Thanksgiving here? The model that David shows us here uh, shows us four steps involved in giving thanks. First, recognize what God gives. Recognize what God gives. You know, too often we enjoy good things and then quickly move on. You may receive an unexpected gift or an unsolicited word of encouragement, uh, and yet fail to fully recognize what has been given to you. If you're a teenager, um, you have experienced years of provision from your parents. Uh, Now, whether you like uh, the kinds of provision they've given to you or not, the fact is they've been providing you for you. In fact, they they have put up with you, which is a big deal. Um, And God has put up with us. You know, if you feel like you don't like the things that your life is composed of right now, uh, God has put up with us, put up with our sin against him. Uh, But so much more than that, we are constantly receiving good things from his hand. He doesn't put up with us begrudgingly. He's a loving father who delights to give good things. So the fact that he's put up with us shouldn't be overlooked. But the fact that he's given, in addition to Christ, so many good things to us uh, should draw us to thanksgiving. And yet, we have dim eyesight when it comes to seeing God's goodness. Uh, So we have to work at getting a clearer vision of God's goodness when life is full of good things. If you have abundance in your life, uh, there's great danger of forgetting that it actually comes from God. And having greater gifts obligates us to greater thanksgiving. But we also must see that God is good when life is full of hard things. You know, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And do you remember what he's talking about? He's talking about thanksgiving and contentment even when life is full of hard things. Even then, Paul says, I, through Christ who strengthens me, uh, can be grateful. 
Just as David had said in Psalm 138, the Lord has strengthened my soul. And then we must learn to see God's goodness when life is full of ordinary things. You don't overlook God's ordinary or routine provision. God's ordinary goodness to us deserves special attention because it's constant. He's, he's always faithful to us. The manna that Israel received in the wilderness was ordinary, which led them to despise it. But they should have been all the more grateful. That manna should have been all the more precious to them because God never failed to provide for them. God says, in everything, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for your life? God's will is that you would give thanks in everything. So recognize God's goodness, whether life is full of good things, full of hard things, or full of ordinary things. Develop an eye for seeing his continual goodness to you. Uh, But then second, rejoice in what God gives. So don't simply recognize theoretically, but rejoice in it. Again, David says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I sing my thanksgiving to you. And David is fully engaged in, in rejoicing over what God has done for him and this renewed confidence that he feels in his heart toward God. There was a time when his soul was weak, but now he feels strong and encouraged in the Lord. But rather than move on quickly with this renewed faith toward God, uh, David takes the time to go to the tabernacle, to offer sacrifices, to, to give thanks to God. You see, he, he pauses uh, to cultivate a heart that is really grateful. So recognizing a gift is the beginning of gratitude, but often we have to take time to reflect on that gift and speak to ourselves and to others about God's great kindness to us. Uh, a couple weeks ago after the service, again, a, a different woman pulled me over um, in the hallways and said that uh, she wanted to show me a video that she had received on a text message just that morning. Her, her son who had been in drugs and in and out of prison, had shared uh, his testimony in church that Sunday morning at the church he was in about how he's been clean from drugs and making progress in faith. This was something that Stacy and I had been praying with her about for uh, a long time, and to see God do this was incredibly exciting. We were happy to see God answer those prayers, and we rejoiced in the hallway together. There were streams coming down, streams of tears coming down her eyes, just like uh, any of you parents would feel if a prodigal came home. She couldn't help but rejoice in what God had done. You know, God is powerful. God is good. And when we see God's power and his goodness displayed in our lives, we should rejoice in it. So as one author said, the thankful person must be suitably affected, suitably affected with the mercies he receives. If you swallow your meat before chewing it, you miss all the goodness of the flavor. Swallow before chewing it, and you miss the goodness. Chew your meat first. Take time to give thanks to God for the good things you receive. Not simply to enjoy, but to give thanks for. You know, when you receive something good, you're often glad about it. But are you thankful? Someone said daily mercies are often like visitors that come in the back door and you don't even realize they've come in. We often don't receive our mercies at the front door with full welcome and enthusiasm. So recognize uh, what God gives you, certainly, 
but then move toward rejoicing in it. Like, like these good things are visitors at the, well, at the front door that you want to welcome with enthusiasm. Uh, and then third, return to God. Return to God. So move back to the Lord with this recognizing and rejoicing because the gifts were personally from him. You know, th- this is what makes thanksgiving distinctively Christian. The distinguishing mark of Christian thanksgiving is that it returns to God through Jesus Christ. You know, God has demonstrated the fullness of his love for humanity by sending Jesus to suffer in your place so that you could escape punishment for sins. Whatever difficulties you may be experiencing in life, this good news about Jesus is a reality that brings joy into every sorrow. You know, even King David felt like God was absent at times, or even like God was against him at times. And yet, in giving Christ for us, God has proved that he is eternally for you. He is eternally for your good. And so all our thanksgiving is a return to God through Jesus, Jesus who has reunited us to God. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament mentions thanksgiving in his letters, according to one New Testament scholar, more often line for line than any other Greek, pagan, or Christian author. Because Paul knew what he had been rescued from. He knew he deserved death and eternal separation from God. And yet through Christ, he had been rescued. And so, you know, if the natural impulse of humanity is not to give thanks to God, then the new impulse for the Christian is to return to God and rejoicing that we have been rescued. And then this new impulse leads us down a path away from grumbling, self-pity, and temper tantrums at God. We give thanks for what God has done for us in Christ. You know, even those who don't believe there is a God celebrated Thanksgiving this past Thursday. How much more should the Christian who has experienced intense and personal love from God through Christ give thanks wholeheartedly? We don't give blind thanks We don't say simply thanks or thank it. We say thank you because the gifts we receive are personal. They are from God. And so we return thanks to him. Even when the kindness comes from the hand of another person, ultimately the Christian recognizes what James says in the New Testament. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. All things come from the hand of God, and so we should return to God in thanksgiving for all things. God, thank you. Again, notice the direction of David's song. At the beginning, he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. So recognize, rejoice, return, and then fourth, uh, record what God gives you. Record what God gives you. Record the details of his kindness Recall them to mind, you know, so you don't forget. Write them down in a journal or maybe keep a running Word document of thanksgiving. As one person said, forgotten memories bear no fruit. A bad memory when it comes to thanksgiving makes a barren heart and life. On the other hand, recording God's mercies, remembering how you've seen God work, will bring about great fruit, great joy, uh, greater faith that can sustain you in the difficulties that lie ahead. You don't have to write Hebrew poetry like David did to commemorate God's goodness in your life. 
just jot down simple facts about the way God has worked for you to recall that to mind. Whether it's an answer to prayer or an unexpected deliverance or something that you're rejoicing in with another brother or sister who has experienced God's goodness. You know, write these things down. Rejoice in what God has done. God's goodness must not be forgotten. So follow David's example in this psalm where, where he gives thanks even before the deliverance comes. You know, if you're in the midst of some acute difficulty, your, your faith tank is running low, it's near empty, then, then you could look back at this list of all the ways you've seen God work in your life and in the lives of those close to you. And then you could say, yes, I know this is the kind of God you are. You've done this in the past. You can do it again. Thank you, God, for your deliverance. Do it again. So recognize, rejoice, return, and then record God's goodness. Christians ought to be distinctively grateful people, you know, famous for not complaining, not being ungrateful, where, where complaint is crowded out of our hearts by thanksgiving to God. So by God's grace, may we have hearts full of gratitude for what God has done for us through Jesus especially today as we begin this Advent season, these four weeks uh, leading up to Christmas, as we uh, think about this Christmas truth that God sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. You know, what greater cause for thanksgiving this morning than that God has worked in all of human history to save us from ourselves, from our sin and his wrath against it. May our hearts be full of thanksgiving this morning. Well, let's take a moment of silence now as we uh, conclude just to return our hearts to God right now, to maybe consider the ways he has been demonstrating his goodness to you recently and to give thanks to him. And then one of the elders will close us in prayer.